Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Diagnostic Imaging in Non-Cystic Fibrosis Bronchiectasis, the Radiologist's Role in Optimizing Care. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from InsMed. The title of this activity is Diagnostic Imaging in Non-Cystic Fibrosis Bronchiectasis, the Radiologist's Role in Optimizing Care. My name is Ann O'Donnell. I'm the Chief of the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine at Georgetown University Medical Center in Washington, D.C. To introduce you to non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis, I'm just going to use the terminology bronchiectasis going forward. The burden of non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis is more significant than previously thought. It's projected that greater than 4 million individuals older than 40 years have non-CF bronchiectasis in the U.S. About 75% of patients are 65 years or greater, and bronchiectasis frequently coexists with other chronic respiratory diseases. Up to about 72% of patients with severe COPD may have bronchiectasis on imaging, and up to 68% with severe or uncontrolled asthma are also found to have bronchiectatic changes on imaging studies. Bronchiectasis is associated with increased inflammation, exacerbations, and increased mortality. The burden of bronchiectasis is that exacerbations are actually fairly common. Over a one-year period, about two-thirds of patients experience one or greater exacerbations, and about a third have three or more exacerbations. About 30% of patients have one or more hospitalizations per year, and a smaller percentage, 10%, have three or more hospitalizations due to bronchiectasis exacerbations. One exacerbation predicts the occurrence of another and is associated with progressive lung damage, lung function decline, and higher mortality. Part of the reason to highlight earlier diagnosis and institution of treatment is to reduce the exacerbation burden and hopefully impact the prognosis of the disease. In terms of the impact on the patient's functioning, both the physical and mental quality of life, we know that disease severity, moderate to severe versus mild bronchiectasis, is associated with lower quality of life, as are frequent exacerbations. The frequent exacerbator is at risk for both more day-to-day symptoms and worse quality of life. Also, there's an association with frequent exacerbations and mental health issues like anxiety and depression. So early diagnosis and early initiation of treatment may actually improve the patient's quality of life as well. The progressive nature of non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis highlights the need for earlier diagnosis and initiation of treatment. In our next session, we'll review the radiologic criteria for making the diagnosis of bronchiectasis. Session two is recognizing the subtleties in non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis and the opportunities to advance care. There are certain key radiologic features that must be observed in order to diagnose non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis. On a high-resolution chest CT, we often see inner airway to artery diameter ratio of greater than 1 to 1.5, as illustrated in this slide. A second common finding is the outer airway to artery ratio greater than or equal to 1 to 1.5. 
that's imaged on this slice. The third chest CT finding is lack of tapering of the airways, and that's visible in this slice from the CT scan. A fourth radiologic finding on the high-resolution chest CT is visibility of airways in the peripheries of the lungs, which is something not seen in normal lungs. Other common radiologic findings on CT imaging include bronchial wall thickening, which is illustrated in the left-hand panel, mucus plugging in the peripheral airways, seen on the center panel, and tree and bud opacities on the right panel, which is indicative of mucus plugging in the small airways and bronchiolitis. The diagnosis of bronchiectasis beyond the radiologic criteria include the following clinical features. Most patients have two of the following, cough most days of the week, sputum production most days of the week, and a history of exacerbations. About 98% of patients with bronchiectasis have a chronic cough, and about 80% produce sputum on a regular basis. Some of the associated signs and symptoms include chronic rhinosinusitis in about 70% of these patients, dyspnea in about 60%, wheezing detected on physical exam in about 30%, and hemoptysis, which is a relatively uncommon phenomenon, but seen in roughly 18 to 30% of patients with brachiectasis. In order to accurately diagnose brachiectasis, in addition to key radiologic findings, certain clinical features must also be identified. In the next session, we'll review some of the major challenges and pitfalls that complicate the radiologic diagnosis of bronchiectasis. The cardinal symptoms and red flags to improve early diagnosis of non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis include key differential diagnoses based on imaging characteristics, other diagnostic challenges such as underlying pathogenesis that may complicate diagnosis and potential diagnostic pitfalls. In addition to its crucial role in the diagnosis of bronchiectasis, imaging can sometimes help us narrow down the underlying cause of the disease. It's quite important to identify an underlying etiology if there is one in these patients. There is a whole spectrum of etiologies that result in bronchiectasis, and each requires a unique therapeutic approach. Gastroesophageal reflux and aspiration, allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis, COPD and asthma, autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and inflammatory bowel disease can cause bronchiectasis. Patients with chronic rhinosinusitis with hereditary disorders like primary ciliary dyskinesia, cystic fibrosis, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency can also develop bronchiectasis. And finally, immune deficiencies may result in bronchiectasis. There are still patients we consider to have idiopathic bronchiectasis, but it is important that underlying causes and associated conditions be investigated and ruled out in these patients. This flowchart demonstrates some issues that we can determine from looking at the CT imaging. If the bronchiectasis is focal on CT scan, that implies several potential diagnoses like bronchial atresia, extrinsic compression of a local bronchus, endobronchial lesion, including malignancy, carcinoid tumor, foreign body, bronchial or airway stenosis. 
the differential diagnosis when the bronchiectasis is diffuse is more broad, and you can break this down to a peripheral predominance and a central predominance. Patients with central bronchiectasis often have allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis. There are also some congenital tracheobronchial abnormalities associated with central bronchiectasis. Patients with a more peripheral distribution of disease, you can break it down into upper lobe, lower lobe, and right middle lobe and lingular predominance, and a differential diagnosis can be formed around those radiographic findings. Some of the pitfalls in imaging interpretation include distinguishing reversible airway dilatation versus chronic bronchiectasis. It's also very important that traction bronchiectasis, which is seen in pulmonary fibrosis, be differentiated from the bronchiectasis we're discussing today. And the final radiologic point that's important to remember is that tree and bud opacities on CT imaging don't necessarily indicate a specific microbiologic etiology, but can be associated with the host of different microorganisms. So when diagnosing non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis, it's important to assess a potential cause as that may help to determine a particular treatment approach this brings us to our next session where we discuss the rationale behind the treatment of non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis. The pathogenesis of non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis is complex, and unfortunately, none of the available treatments directly target this underlying pathogenesis. We often think of bronchiectasis as a vicious cycle where there's an initial insult that results in inflammation. That inflammation leads to airway dilatation, loss of ciliary function, and airway remodeling. Because of that remodeling, there's accumulation of mucus, which puts the patient at risk for bacterial colonization and infection. And this vicious cycle takes a life of its own and causes more and more damage to the lungs. To advance treatment of non-cystic fibrosis, bronchiectasis, we need long-term treatment approaches. And we look at this vicious cycle as a good model for us to plan our treatment strategy for an individual patient. In order to target the inflammation, we institute anti-inflammatory therapies in many of these patients. To address airway remodeling, bronchodilators can be helpful. Other therapies to mobilize secretions may also be effective. In terms of the mucus accumulation, mucoactive agents, airway clearance, both pharmacologic and mechanical are very important. And finally, if the patient is chronically infected, we use antibiotics either orally or inhaled to address that. Each aspect of this cycle needs to be addressed in order to get ultimate treatment options and achieve treatment goals for patients with bronchiectasis. To advance the treatment of non-CF bronchiectasis by targeting the underlying pathogenesis. There's been more emphasis on addressing neutrophilic inflammation, with neutrophils being recruited to the lungs because of the chronic infection and inflammation. Neutrophils enter the circulation from the bone marrow, migrate to the lungs, and become pro-inflammatory. Persistent neutrophilic inflammation is a hallmark of bronchiectasis. It correlates with disease severity and duration, can promote further infection, and ultimately may be a therapeutic target. So neutrophils are one potential target for development of new treatments for non-CF bronchiectasis. In our final session, we will take a look at some of these emerging neutrophil targeting agents. 
several agents that target inflammatory neutrophil activity and bronchiectasis are currently being studied. In Willow Phase two trial of the drug Bredzicatib, which is a neutrophil elastase inhibitor, we see the effect of treatment with Sprensicatib versus placebo over 169-day course of therapy. This trial, which enrolled 256 patients, compared two doses of Sprensicatib to placebo. And in patients treated with Sprensicatib, there was longer time to first exacerbation and fewer patients in the treated arms had exacerbations. The phase three trial is now underway. What we learned in the Willow Phase two trial was that this drug appeared to be safe. The adverse events that occurred in this trial were quite similar between all arms. The most common adverse effects were really those associated with the underlying disease, including cough and sputum production. Adverse events of special interest, which for Brensicatib include dental and skin Issues were increased in some patients who were treated with the investigational drug. Another drug that's been looked at in a pilot phase three small trial is rifumilast versus placebo. And with rifumilast, there was no difference in the time to first exacerbation or the number of exacerbations in the treated arm. There was safety data from this trial that showed mild adverse effects in the rifumilast-treated group, primarily gastrointestinal side effects. There is a novel catepsin C inhibitor that's being investigated for non-cystic fibrosis bronchiectasis. What was found in the phase one trial of the CAT-C inhibitor was neutrophil elastase activity was inhibited up to 50% and AEs were mild to moderate. This is data from the phase two trial in which 240 patients were randomized in a double-line placebo-controlled fashion to different doses with the primary endpoint in this trial being time to first exacerbation and several secondary endpoints. Neutrophil-targeted agents are an active area of research in bronchiectasis and in the future may provide valuable treatment options for patients with bronchiectasis. We have three important take-home points. One is the radiologic diagnosis of bronchiectasis. Two is the importance of combining the radiologic diagnosis with the clinical features of the patient. And the third is the challenge of evaluating and treating the patients and the hope for future therapeutics. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.